we look at this impending storm, that you would give us patience in the inconvenience. This is going to be a lesson for us once again in the many blessings that we have and the many things that we have maybe that we don't need as much as we think we do. So I pray that you'd give us patience in the inconvenience. I pray that we would be the first to serve, that we would be true to you as our protector and our provider and be a help and, um, and a service to others around us in the ways that we can. I pray that we would rest in you as our shield and trust you in all things. And this room is filled with people that have come with needs on their hearts and minds, and I commit those to you as you understand them and pray by your grace that you would meet those needs as only you can. And for those who are not able to be here because they are uh, convalescing and struggling with different issues, would you be their sufficiency in this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch this video, please. compass check. I don't want you to get lost in what we're doing. As we walk through the life of Joseph, I'm pulling out month by month a principle that we are uh, understanding from the passage and then taking that principle and seeing how that gets lived out in several different ways. We're considering pride and privilege, what he had to and what all of us have to deal with and wrestle with because that's what we're born with. We are tremendously privileged people and as I kind of um, modernize the concept of the uh, coat of many colors, I chose the green jacket from uh, the masters and from this we find that we have tremendous privilege, many privileges that we receive because we are created in his image. But what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is looking at the rather ratted, tatted, tattered, what we've done with that gift that he's given us and digging into, first of all, looking at ourselves and dealing with why we differ and fight with each other. And then last week we looked at considering uh, myself and those that I love and some of the domestic issues that we deal with. And now today, I want us to think about me and those I should love in the context of and dealing with the very important issue of modern day slavery. Our verses today from Genesis chapter 37 describe part of the story where the brothers beat up Joseph, throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery. 
Genesis 37, beginning in verse 19, says, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into a cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and then take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And as they sat there and ate their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices of balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's... um, Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he is our brother, own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. So when the Midianite, Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to the Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? My question to you today would be, would you be Reuben in this story? He was the one to speak up for the vulnerable and try to keep them from this act of violence they were planning. As it was, the description of what they did to Joseph was brutal enough, and of course then selling him into slavery was unjust. Thanks to Reuben, he wasn't killed. Now, Why would I ask that question? Because we have a real problem in our world today. The United Nations International Labor Organization says that 12.5 million men, women and children in the world are slaves today. That figure by some goes as as much as double that figure. But we'll just go with the lower one. As if 12.5 million weren't a lot. That, in an absolute number, is more than any other time in history. Well, that's just other places in the world, right? Not here in the United States. Except the FBI will tell you that hundred, an estimated 100,000 girls between the ages of 9 and 19 are trapped in the sex slave trade here in the United States. The average age, 11. And one of the things that just crushed me this week as I was researching this was that when a girl or a young boy, somebody came to me after the service and has been involved in this kind of thing, uh, ministries to these people, and and was sharing with me that one of the dirty little secrets is there, uh, before 12, There are as many boys, in fact, more boys caught in this than there actually are girls. One of the dirty little secrets, too, is that when they are caught in in, in childhood, in this kind of slavery, their average lifespan from there is seven years. Most of these people are dead before they get to 20. Well, that wouldn't happen here in Morris County, would it? I was on the phone this week with uh, Jane Baldwin Shivas of the Jersey Battered Women's uh, Shelter. 
And they're still trying to figure out what the exact figures are. And they've started something called the New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking. And on the 11th of January, in fact, there's going to be an awareness day in this regard. And I encourage you to watch the papers and for uh, other media outlets that would begin to tell us specifically how grave this problem is right here in our own backyard. Because it is. $32 billion a year worldwide is made in this vice. Second largest to, to illegal trade, um, to the trade of illegal uh, drug use. Would you have been Reuben in the story? I think we'd all like to, to say we would have been, right? Well, I hope that's true. <laughs> Let me describe to you what you would be like if you were Reuben in the story today. You would do all you could in spite of the odds. There we have in in the verses that I just read in verse 21 and 22. He was the only one. All the others wanted to kill him. Their intention was murder. And their assumption was, if we do this, our problem will go away. Then we'll see what happens to his stupid dreams. He has a plan of rescue in verse 21 and 22. Not only to save his life but to keep from shedding any blood and then a plan of escape to return him without any harm or as little harm as possible to his father. He had a plan. And he didn't give up just because it didn't seem like what he could do wasn't very much. Of course, that's one of our questions, isn't it? Well, yeah, okay, you know, and you're breaking my heart with these stats and these videos, but what am I supposed to do? Let me read to you from a book called The White Umbrella. And I'm going to refer to it more, but this is in the foreword uh, written by Louis Giglio about this woman. It says, as long as we are convinced that somebody like me can't really do anything to turn the tide, we can continue to exist in our self-made bubbles of comfort and ignore God's beating heart. Yet throughout history, in the dark night of need... God awakens ordinary people to the torrent of His love, shattering the silence and fueling in their hearts an unquenchable desire to spread the love they found to the broken and the discarded. One such warrior of love is my friend Mary Frances Bowley. While many regard Mary Frances as a hero and apt description, what I really want you to know about her is she's someone just like you. She's what you'd call a normal person who was living a comfortable Christian life until the very real plight of sexual slavery stood right in front of her with a face and a name. In that moment, everything changed for Mary Frances, and from that moment, she set out to change everything. As you'll read in this book, Mary Frances went on to found Wellspring Living, a fledgling dream of hope that has now blossomed into a nationally recognized force of rescue, restoration, and renewal for lives once torn. That's one of the questions. What can I do? Yeah, well, one person actually started making a huge difference. If you were Reuben, you would do what you should do in spite of your own problems. This we get from chapter 35 if we go back in the story a little bit. He did what he should in spite of his own failures. He wasn't a perfect man. And man, this was not a perfect family. Just read these chapters. I don't know if you've been reading in this Joseph story before and after, but it's crazy what stuff is going on here. How about the story of Dinah and the Shechemites? I encourage all the guys to go and read that this afternoon. And you'll be in pain for a while, actually, as you think about it. 
It's crazy the stuff that happens here. Then we got chapter 38. You know, we kind of conveniently go from in the Joseph story 37 to 39 because 38. Well, we don't want to. You don't read that to your kids. What happens there? We got Tamar who's prostituting herself, and with Judah no less, who will just go with whoever approaches him apparently, and he became the head of the tribe from from whom Christ was born. This stuff is, it's crazy what kind of stuff is, it's like an X-rated Bible. Do you read the same Bible I read? We should be disgusted, but we should not be surprised. Why is it that we distance ourselves from these things? We should be bothered, but this stuff's been going on so long, we should be motivated and determined and willing to address the problems that these behaviors create. The power of Reuben's example was that even though he wasn't above these things, he still tried to do what he could because he did the same thing. In chapter 35, what's happening is there's just the recounting of the story of Israel, right? Israel is Joseph's father. His father, Isaac, had a wife named Rachel. And in that story, in that chapter, it's just Rachel passes away, and then later we're going to see that uh, uh Isaac passes away, and here are Jacob's sons, and these are the sons of twelve tribes of Israel. And right in the middle, in verse 22, is this verse that says, uh, While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. And then it moves on to, you know, who his kids were. And, and you're like, where did that come from? And if we fast forward to Genesis chapter 49, at the end of Israel's life, Jacob's life, when he's blessing his sons, he comes to Reuben and he says, you know, you were an amazing guy. You excelled, but actually you're not going to excel anymore because you defiled your father's bed. And then if you go to 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 5, we read this of Reuben, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. He was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights of firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. Wow. He messed up. Big time. Firstborn back in those days was huge. Who was he to intervene? What difference could he make, you loser? Maybe one of the more qualified, the more righteous, the more pious of the sons of Israel should have done something. But they didn't. Again, are you reading the same Bible I am? Why is it that God uses all of the sinners and adulterers and liars and cheats and fools? He wasn't a perfect man. He made his own mistakes, but he did not let his past paralyze him. And maybe that's one of our thoughts. Well, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You know, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that should be a part of something like this. If you were Reuben in the story, you would not let your inadequacies keep you from doing what you should now in spite of what you may have done then. 
And if you were Reuben, you would do what we should in offering a voice when others are silent. If we fast forward to chapter 42, now we have the brothers after they've beaten up Joseph and sold him into slavery many years later. Before Joseph, they don't know who he is, but he knows who they are. And they're feeling the pressure. He's tough on them. And they say in verse 21 of chapter 42, Surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. Listen to Kent Hughes on this. The verbs uh, of the verse 23 and 24 back in, in chapter 37 where they're beating him up describe this brutal assault. They stripped him is a term used to describe the skinning of animals in Leviticus chapter 1. Like a pack of dogs, his nine brothers were on him, scratching and pulling a hated coat from him and likely his remaining clothing, finally dumping him like a dead body into a pit so deep and vertical he, vertical he could not climb out. Joseph lay bruised and bleeding, naked on the rocky floor of an empty water cistern. Their intent was to let him starve to death. They would have not shed any blood in a twisted technical sense, and thus wrongly reasoned that his blood would not cry out from the ground. But later, when regret was the prevailing emotion among the brothers... Reuben was the only one who could say that he had offered a voice when someone needed to, when the rest remained silent. Didn't I tell you? Not to sin against the boy, but you would not listen. He didn't keep silent when the others did. He did what we should in offering a voice when others were silent. And of course, that's one of our thoughts too, right? I'm just one voice. What can I do? Would you say you would have been a Reuben? Do you think you would have made a difference in the situation? Would you have spoken up and had the courage in spite of the odds, in spite of your own issues, being very much alone? Let's go back to our modern day problem of this sex trafficking slavery. I want you to do something. I don't want you to give anything. Now I say that with the caveat, if God moves you to give, give. You're going to hear some things that you know would would tell you what would happen if you did. I just want to be realistic about this. This is one stop in a journey as we move forward. Next week is Harvest Home, and that is where we come and give offerings for the things that you've been hearing about that are making a difference in how people can hear us and communicating this essential message people need to hear. Then we're going to be talking about Advent conspiracy during. Uh, uh, um, uh, during uh, the Christmas season. And there can be plenty of opportunity for you to be giving to that. So, so I don't want to mix a bunch of messages and, you know, well, I gave all my money away to the... Listen, that's why I've tried to come up with a few things here that would be practical things you could do and not just write a check. I want you to, first of all, get educated. There's something called the whiteumbrellacampaign.com. Uh, if you flip your notes over, you'll see these websites that are there. Um, that is uh, something that's coming out of Wellspring Living Organization that I've referred to out of this book already. I'd like to, uh, to read you something out of here as well. <clears throat> Did you know, throughout this book, you will notice that I often refer to clients we work with as girls. This is because regardless of literal age, the children and women who come to Wellspring Living are all wounded little girls inside. 
Once a girl is molested, she is emotionally arrested at that age, making her vulnerable to unhealthy people and giving her a tendency of making life choices based on the age at abuse, regardless of what her age actually is. We also refer to them as our girls out of great love and respect and community that we are privileged to share with them day to day. And there's an entire chapter here on, in, in chapter 5 called Her Battle that goes into what actually happens in halting and disrupting the brain development emotionally and psychologically of these children when they are abused. And many of these behaviors are so misunderstood by the rest of us and by society because the trauma has created these horrible um, deficiencies in their development psychologically and emotionally because of the trauma that they have suffered. It's heart-wrenching. And the stories in this book, it's a compilation of essays from those that work uh, with these young ladies as well as um, some of the young ladies themselves and uh, some volunteers, just people like you who do things that are just, you know, practical and simple. They're not trained counselors or millionaires. They're just people that get involved and make a difference. They'll break your heart, but they'll also demonstrate the hope that comes out of God's power working in these situations. I was struck by another quote in here because I'm a hearty Cubs fan, you know, and that's a terrible place to live your life. She writes, as an avid follower of the Chicago Cubs, I've adopted the motto, Cub fans all around the globe, we believe. Yeah. It's been over 100 years since the Cubs have won the World Series, but no matter how horrible the Cubs are, we always believe. Not so long ago, if you'd asked me if I thought it was possible to overcome the issue of sexual exploitation of children, I would have said no. I would have told you that we, we can save individual lives, but that only the return of Jesus would make the problem go away entirely. Recently, I was challenged by the Lord to think bigger. We refer to human trafficking as modern-day slavery. I wonder, did African Americans enslaved in the 1800s think that they would be free someday? Did it cross their minds that it was ever possible to overcome slavery in America? Obviously, some did. But who got the ball rolling? Was it a man in the fields crying out to God for freedom? Was it a young mother praying for a better future for her children? Was it a citizen wondering how people could treat other human beings like animals? My guess is that God faithfully answered the prayers of many. Today I sense the Lord calling me to believe that one day we'll look back on our our fight to free sexually exploited children as history, not as reality. The Holy Spirit is prodding my heart to stand strong in the battle lines so that one day we will see an end to this kind of trafficking. I want you to buy the book. You'll notice on the back side of your notes there, there's a QR code. Take your smartphone, scan it, take you right to Amazon, cost you 10 bucks. You buy it right now. Or, there's only 30 copies, and I don't know how many are left after the first service, but there are 30 copies at the Welcome Center. Buy the book. You'll find it fascinating. Get educated. Find out some more about this. Watch this video. Nicole didn't know that she was a product of rape. When she was 13 years old, she was trafficked in multiple states and was required to make $1,000 a day. 
Growing up, Nicole's mom taught her not to value education. When she came to us, she couldn't write in complete sentences, and she was failing every class. Nicole would always run away. She would ignore staff, and she was afraid of getting help. Felicia is the daughter of her mother's pimp. She grew up in a really unhealthy environment, and at one point she was locked in a shed for one week by her perpetrator. When Felicia was eight years old, she started smoking weed to cope with her issues. From a young age, Felicia had consistently fallen through the cracks in the public school system. She often had flashbacks in class, which led the teachers to believe that she didn't care about school. Because of Felicia's pain, she often withdraws from her peers and from staff. She gives herself tattoos and piercings. Ashley found her father murdered at the age of three. When she was a teenager, she was locked in an apartment for three months and forced to have sex for money. To end the pain, Ashley tried to hang herself with a belt. Because of multiple suspensions, Ashley had attended four different middle schools. She had given up hopes of ever succeeding in school. Ashley has problems connecting with people. One moment she loves me, the next moment she hates me. She needs constant supervision from staff because she'll often threaten to hurt her peers. Now that God is healing Nicole, she is experiencing true freedom. And through Felicia's recovery, she's developed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. She is now successful in school and even dreams of becoming a nurse technician. Now Ashley believes that she is valued and worth loving. She really wants her future to be what God wants it to be. Felicia is hopeful about her future for the first time. So I want you to get educated. You'll also see on there a website uh, for a group called uh, the Polaris Project, uh, and that is an organization that deals with this all around the world. You'll find uh, all kinds of interesting information that you should be aware of just so that you understand the breadth and the uh, severity of this issue. But I also want you to get involved. Uh, you'll also see a couple of uh, websites there, Restore New York City and Rescued and Redeemed. Both of these are organizations that work right here in New Jersey. Uh, Restore New York is opening a safe house in Bergen County in the month of December. What can you do? Well, we can all do something. There's a chapter in here about that. Sandy Kimbrough's story of just cooking tells you about her not being a counselor, social worker, millionaire. She just changed, however, Jessica's life through teaching her how to cook. We don't have to give a million dollars or build a big organization to fight a cause. I try and teach my kids that we can all do something kind for others every day, whether it's giving a pair of shoes to someone in need or simply offering a compliment. There are countless opportunities, such as reading to a child or mentoring a teen or even teaching sex trafficking survivors how to cook. These things don't require much on our part and mean everything to those who need help. If everyone will just do something, we really can change this world. And then Mancis, uh, Mary Frances Bowley um, says of her own uh, journey here, 
We were just kindergarten teachers, housewives, and community advocates, but praying and seeking God's direction as to how we could best channel our joint passion and service. What kind of program was needed to help these desperate souls in Atlanta, where this organization is based? At that time, the subject of abuse was virtually ignored inside the walls of the church. Yet, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, one in four girls is abused sexually before she reaches the age of 18. This statistic is so alarming that we could not ignore the truth we discovered, even if it was difficult to broach within the faith community. Watch this video. promises of legal passage and a legitimate job. But she was forced into prostitution in Queens in order to pay off a fictitious and an impossible to meet debt. She saw absolutely no way out. After she was arrested on prostitution charges, Restore reached out, made contact, and began providing services so that she had a chance for a new life. Lisa is the first client to move into the Restore Safe House, a safe haven that provides 24-hour care and provisions to foster full healing and recovery. Today, she's speaking English, she's learning new job skills, and she's working towards obtaining her legal status, which will expand her opportunities for economic empowerment. Lisa has come a long way, and so has Restore. Not only did we open New York City's first long-term safe house for foreign-born survivors of sex trafficking, but we have also expanded our services to include education, counseling, case management, court advocacy, and job skills training. Our organization's progress was also recently highlighted in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. With a little bit of support, we have the ability to make a huge impact in a survivor's life. $100 provides food and other basic necessities for one woman for 10 days. $1,000 provides screening and court advocacy for one woman within the New York judicial system. $10,000 provides shelter at Restore Safe House to eight women for 100 days. So many women are waiting to experience this hope of freedom. We now have served over a hundred women who, like Lisa, desperately need our help in order to gain their lives back. We are so thankful for your support and we humbly ask that you would continue to support Restore's mission of providing the best quality of care and aid to survivors of sex trafficking. Living in a tree, yeah, that's where I'd like to be when the world falls down. I had really hoped to have someone from that organization with us this week. I, I tried the best I could. Uh, didn't work out, um, but uh, next best thing, I spoke with Peter Pendell. Maybe some of you know who he is. He's a former pastor of uh, Millington Baptist, the grandfather of Liquid Church. Uh, he's gone into semi-retirement, and he's helping a church in Queens. And uh, he had um, a woman by the name of Mrs. Sargono uh, at his church sharing about this Christian organization, Re- uh, Restore New York. Uh, and um, I'm going to have the opportunity to speak with her tomorrow morning just to find out more about what they do and what practical things we might be able to do to participate. So 
if there are things that if you would like to do, you'd like to find out about, just check with me during this week or next week or something, and I may have some practical things that we can do. As I said, they're opening a home in Bergen County uh, in December. It's a group that specializes, and it is a Christian group that's leading these women to Christ. Um, they specialize in foreign-born women trafficked in the United States. And I found something very interesting. Of course, they give them job skills and social confidence and faith in Christ. Uh, our government even recognizes a responsibility towards these people. Because after all, the ones that continue to perpetrate and abuse these women are we Americans. And so the American government, even though these people have been smuggled into this country illegally, offers, if they will cooperate with them and they've been rescued into an agency like Restore New York, they immediately get a three-year visa. And then if they continue to cooperate, they get a path uh, to legal status. Interesting. Now our government recognizes that we have a responsibility towards this. Shouldn't we? It's one last thing about Reuben. He was born in hope. You see, Reuben was the son of Leah, the unloved wife of Jacob. Remember? He wanted Rachel. And uh, I guess I messed up the name of... I just realized I messed up the name of Isaac's wife. Uh, Anyway, never mind. Before, just came to mind. He wanted Rachel. He got Leah. And he didn't love her. And he had to work another seven years and then he got the one that he loved, remember? And so when she, because she was unloved, it says in Genesis 29, 31 to 33, she was granted a child because Jacob did not love her. God gave her a child. And then Rachel remained barren, at least at that time. Reuben means see a son, or it sounds like he has seen my misery. It's interesting, in spite of himself, from his very birth, he offered hope to the hopeless. Wouldn't we want to be a Reuben? Will you offer a voice? Or will you remain silent? I saw this tweet by John Piper this week. Since slavery is a wrongful picture of God's rightful ownership of us, it's understanding is its end. I'd like to pray and then we're going to sing. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. Let's sing that as our prayer for those in this plight and for what our part would be in doing what we can. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our freedom in Christ and for the many things that we are so blessed with in our safe little bubbles. And we're even all worried about you know, losing power and inconvenience. We don't know the beginnings of true slavery difficulty so we pray for these and we ask that they would find freedom and that you would lay on our hearts what we should do and be as a part of them finding that freedom
you know uh, 